Welcome to episode 10 of the AACF podcast known as Awaken. I'm your host, Daniel, and today we are joined by one of AACF's alumni, Candice Chia. She served on CORE for two years as a small group coordinator and co-court coordinator and is currently a behavioral health technician at Children's Learning Connection. She will start grad school at St. Marcos this fall. Welcome to the podcast, Candice. Hello. What's up? Uh, can you give people that you know um, just a timeline, like what you've been really doing since you've graduated? Let's see. The first month was really nothing. I had a family trip coming up to Japan, so it was really hard to get hired. When you went to an interview, you're like, hey, I want to be gone in like two weeks for like another two weeks. So they were like, nah, come back. So it was a little harder, but then I came back. I think I got hired to CLC, Children's Learning Connection, around September. Then I was with them up until the beginning of the pandemic in March. So I've actually turned in my two weeks, so I'm no longer with them, which is fun. Dude, nice. <laughs> yeah, hey, job experience though. So yeah, it was just a lot of working, balancing grad apps throughout the fall season, um, going to interviews for those schools, waiting in March and April for acceptance letters, which was probably the most stressful time of my life. And then finally getting into San Marcos around, I think, the beginning of April, which was just a huge relief. And yeah, just, I don't know, they gave us homework, which is really weird for a grad school. So I have like 40 pages of transcription homework to do. So I got to get on that. But it's something to do during quarantine. Oh, they gave you homework like before school has even started? Yeah, they gave us like literally like I have it in the binder in my room. It's like thick. And I'm just like, wow, okay. Dude, that gives me such like high school vibes. No, did I did you guys like yeah. Did you guys ever have to like do homework like in the summer before um school? Oh no, that's like literally why I didn't do AP bio, because they had us do like an entire like book of work and it was like a month before high school started and I was like, I'm dropping AP bio. <laughs> Yeah, like for AP, I think it was World, we had to do like five chapters of an outline. And then the first day, there's like exams on that. And I was just like, bro, come on. That reminds me, fun fact, AP junior year English, they had us read the Bible and we had this whole outline. Of course, nobody did it. And then the first week of school, we had to do Bible Jeopardy and I carried my entire team. And I think hey. we got like almost every single point on the board. Because <laughs> like literally nobody else was like a, like, like a Christian kid in my English class. Hey, I guess the Bible versatile in many ways. Um, I guess so. For the people that don't really know you, can you describe first how you found ACF and then the reasons why you stayed and what really stood out in your experience there all right um I kind of feel that I was kind of always meant to go to ACF so I always knew that ACF existed because people from my home church which is which is in Anaheim California um people had gone to ACF previously so I had this friend that was two years older than me and went to UCI and served on UCI core for AACF and she basically told me when I was a junior in um, high school and she was a freshman in college she's like you're going to go to UCI you're going to join ACF and it's going to be great and I said okay Kelly and then college acceptance came in got waitlisted to UCI but gone to UW so I was like bye never mind So then um, one of our 
like cabin staff or like the high school camp he actually served at ACF for Cal State Long Beach and we don't go to the same church but like we're part of the same church organization so he just randomly texted me one day he's like hey I heard you got into UW like I know some current students there like would you want me to hook like get you in connection with them and of course me like literally having never like left California ever and having lived in the same house for 18 years I was like yes please like let me meet these people so he got me in contact with one of the girls who was a current senior at ACF for that year and she was just super nice and welcoming and I went to I think a fishies event our first event of this year and she just went up to me and was like oh you're Ryan's friend right and she was just super welcoming, like introduced me to all these people, was like, hey, here's this one person, he's also from SoCal. And it was just like a very super open and like welcoming environment. I think that's a big reason that why I stayed. Yeah, and you mentioned that, you know, you've never been out of California before. Do you think if you had been admitted to UCI that you probably would have just gone there instead? Yeah, I think everything about that is like God's timing. Cause I think growing up, I was like, my mom never wanted to pay for college housing. She's like, you can maybe dorm your freshman year to make friends. But like once that's over, like you should commute. So I think she was really vibing for me to go to like UCI or like Cal State Long Beach, like something within like a 45 minute commute. So I think I definitely would have gone to UCI if I gotten in. And I think, I'm not sure, but I'm pretty sure I got off, I would have gotten off the wait list because somebody told me who went to UCI that year that the day after Berkeley acceptances came out, he got off the wait list. So I think I actually probably did get in, just never checked. Well, you know what? Maybe that was for the better, you know? Yep. Yeah. And so, yeah, you mentioned that um, you are originally from California, um, Huntington Beach specifically, and something that I've heard a lot is the best food is specifically in Southern California, especially in LA. And so let's say I'm someone from the East Coast and I've never been to California, right? And I'm visiting for a day. I have $50 to spend on three meals. How do I get the overall LA dining experience? Ooh, I would say since you're specifically in SoCal, like fun fact that OC, which is like adjacent to LA, has the largest Vietnamese population outside of Vietnam. So you gotta go get some like real like legit Vietnamese food, like the little Saigons around here. And hey, that's not going to like really cut into your 50 bucks because you know, it's like hella cheap, good eats. Oh, I feel like you also have to hit up like a taco truck if you're in the area. Like whether you're like in San Diego or LA, there's like really cheap tacos. See, that's like nice thing about SoCal. I feel like there's a lot of cheap food. I feel like everything in Washington, like you go to Tacos Chukis, it's like what, like two bucks for a taco? Like, man, that's like 50 cents down here. Y'all getting gypped. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't find any good Mexican food up in Seattle, honestly. But no, I think they think Taco Bell's where it's at. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what about for dinner then? Like for dinner, what do you think? Um, I mean, I know people really like to hype up the Asian food, especially the sushi there and the Thai food. Um, 
how would you or the Korean barbecue actually? So I guess if I had like one of those choices, what uh, what would you recommend? Hmm. I mean, those are all like really good options. I would say personally. Not sure if they do this on the East Coast or not, but I know so far I've heard this is an only SoCal thing. There is like rice paper that they serve you with Korean barbecue. And I talked to like one of my friends who's from Korea and she said they don't do that in KBBQ in Korea and they definitely don't do it in Washington. Cause the first time I went to KBBQ in Washington, I was like, why is there no rice paper? And it is the most amazing thing. Like, have you had it? Yeah, I think I've had it a couple times. I haven't had or seen rice paper in Seattle. So that's where I've had the same experience. But yeah, so I think sad. I think someone said in Federal Way, they have some really good KBBQ. So maybe I need to hit up there before I really make a comparison between uh, the meals. But yeah, I've had that same experience as you. Yeah, plus it's just, like, all you can eat down here, no time limits. Like, it's 10, 15 bucks. There was this place by my church we used to go to after, like, youth group. And I heard one time the boys, because it was no time limit, they literally stayed there for lunch and dinner and just, like, napped at the bobo shop in between. Yeah, I think the longest I've gone is probably three and a half hours because... Okay, we were going New Year's Day, right? And so lunch and dinner, obviously the prices are different. So for example, lunch would be like $15, $20. And dinner was like $27, $28. But I guess that day they just bunched into dinner. And so they were serving dinner basically the whole day. And so when we saw the price, I was like, dude, we need to basically take away all their resources and <laughs> eat as much as possible. So... Yeah, I would say we stayed there for three and a half hours. But, you know, in the last hour and a half, they were being a little sus, you know. They were being, like, slower in general and operating. And I'm like, bro, pick it up, dude, because, like, I'm trying to eat, you know. So I swear they have that cost analysis, like, set up in their brain. And once, like, that, like, whatever, that 15th play comes out, they are not giving you any more. They're going to try everything in their power. Yeah, but... You know what? You're the customer, so you kind of have the leverage. Um, one more question. That, man. I don't know. I think you got the leverage. Uh, one more question. Is in and out a must? 100%. You have to like look at it from the fact that it's so cost effective. Like literally, I think a Big Mac at McDonald's is like five bucks. That's an entire like combo set meal at in and out and it's like so much better quality. <laughs> Maybe not anymore. I don't know. They've upped the price, I think, a little bit. To, like, what? Like, 20 cents extra? It's still, like, I think it's under, like, 5 bucks for a combo meal. I don't think so. I think I got a double-double last week for, like, four twenty-five something oh, like, like that. Oh, that's, like, a double-double. That's, like, extra. That's, like, double oh, okay. meat. I mean, you don't eat that much, so I guess that would explain it. But, okay, so... Uh, something that people may not know is that you've traveled back and forth from Japan multiple times the past couple of years. What Japanese cuisine do you think is underappreciated in the United States that you think people like us need to try? I think it would have to be yaki udon, which is like literally like yakisoba, except with like the udon noodles. So it's like thicker 
and I just swear it soaks up the sauce more and I think it's like so undervalued because I think every like non-Japanese person they know a Japanese food that's like not sushi or ramen it's probably like yakisoba and I just feel like it's such trash compared to the yaki udon like it's just so much better and it's like basically the same thing just like switch out like one ingredient and you guys have to try it and I have maybe seen like one place in like America that served it and it was I don't know it was like hard to find where was it it was at some Japanese restaurant in SoCal, but I don't really remember the location. So I'm, if you do find it, I would say just try it. Okay, so this is like a SoCal special type of thing. Like you haven't found it anywhere else? Well, I'm just going to say this, and this might be a controversial opinion. The Japanese food in Washington ain't real Japanese food. I mean, I can't argue with that. I don't know if it's I mean, really real or not. everybody that loves Itadakimasu, that place is trash, and I don't care that this is on, like, recording. That is my opinion. Is that the one, like, near the Ave or whatever? Yeah, next to Safeway. Oh, okay. I've never been there. But, yeah, I've heard people say that's a place that you must go. So, I guess, there you go. <laughs> okay, I'm and anyways. Fight those people. <laughs> you're gonna fight those people? Yeah, it's not good, man. <laughs> okay, anyways, so like I said, you've been back and forth to Japan the last couple of years. And in high school, or back in 2015, you were given an opportunity by the Sister City Association to go on a two week treat, trip to, is it Anjo? Anjo, Japan? Mm-hmm, Anjo. And so for people that don't know what the association really is, their mission states that they basically want different people. Um, essentially sharing their culture with each other and so I think the overall goal is to create world peace in a sense and so for you back in 2015 you were given that opportunity and in 2016 you had the opportunity to host foster kids from Japan as well through those experiences is there a story that stands out Mm, I don't know the 2015 trip was just really cool it was getting to because we spent basically a month with our counterparts so they came to Huntington for two weeks and then we got to go back to Anjul with them for two weeks I don't know this isn't really a fun story the chaperone hated me and was just completely horrible to me so I think that trip forced me to like grow up and like basically form my own backbone because I was with her for two weeks in Japan without parental supervision and man she like went off on me (laughs) why did she hate you I don't know like the PC way to say this. I just think I wasn't what she like expected or wanted. And like, it was a non-Japanese woman basically telling my family and me that she knew Japanese culture better than us, like a Japanese American family. And I don't know, she just thought I was hella disrespectful and like was not into it. And then, I don't know, this is like, kind of a big thing she called my family when we were in Hawaii like on vacation they knew we were on vacation like after this whole thing wrapped up and my dad like never goes up to bat for me and he just tells her like you are a horrible woman like I've heard things from like the other parents on this trip like nah my daughter is not disrespectful and then he just like hung up on her yikes yikes yeah so I don't know if that was a fun story it's interesting though and I think it made me grow up a lot yeah, especially if you have to spend two weeks with her, and mm-hmm. I mean, did you were you just kind of like, I'm just gonna 
do what I want and you can't really tell me what to do. Was it kind of like that? I mean, I just got better because, like, I think towards the second half of the trip in Japan, um, we didn't really have to hang out as a group as much. Like, I was basically with my host family. But, yeah, she was, like, trying to, like, micromanage us so much. And, like, I, like, we were pretty much, like, we were, like, like older teenagers. I was, like, 17 on this trip. And they had another sister city from Australia. So, of course, like, the Americans wanted to talk to the Australian kids because it's kind of a nice, like, break. Like, you can use, like, English again and talk to people. And she was, like, trying to micromanage us so hard. Like, she was like, you're not here to meet the Australians. Like, no, no, no. And I'm like, I still follow, like, one of those Australian girls on Instagram and stuff. And I'm like, chill. Like, I don't even think, like, my host kid didn't even, like, like me that much. I talk to the Australian girl more now. Yeah, but, I mean, that's kind of the point of the whole mission anyways was to help spread that culture and i don't know about you but i don't really meet australian people that much so i feel like having that opportunity would have been kind of a once in a lifetime type of thing and so to be kind of tied down like that i feel like it's missing the whole point of the trip because their mission is to spread that culture and to understand each other so that's kind of interesting for you, when um, you were living with the host family, what do you think you really learned about Japanese culture that maybe you don't see as much in the United States? Hmm. I mean, like, I know that culture in Japan is like just being an Asian American versus an Asian of origin. It's like a very different thing. And like, specifically in Japanese culture, like I'm technically not even considered like Japanese. Like I'm a Nikkei, like a foreign born Japanese. I think it's interesting in the sense because there's a lot of things that I see that are similar like with how like my grandparents act and how my parents act there was like a lot of overlap like my host mom was just the sweetest thing in the world like she was so like very much like that Japanese spirit of hospitality like I remember like one day I got like bug bites and she literally came into my bedroom and like had these aloe patches and she like cut them up for me and like put them on my bug bites and she's like oh like did you get bit at my house and I was like no like we went to Kyoto today I'm pretty sure it happened like there and I was like are you gonna like fumigate your house if I told you it happened at your house like I was like I don't know why it matters but I don't know I think the because it's very weird because I know that it's a different culture and there's things that are different I guess there were just things that were surprising because I know in Japan historically like the father figures are kind of just there to like earn money and like provide for the household and my host dad like I really didn't get to hang out with him that much because he would come back like really late at night because like a big part of like Asian business is like the drinking culture that happens like after hours but it was just like really sweet to see him like with his daughters and stuff like when he did come home he was like super like attentive to his time with them so I don't know if it was like that different it's just like of course there's different things like different values but I think at the end of the day it really boils down to like I don't know we're just all families and like family units at the end of the day right and I guess I think something I've noticed is sometimes like native Chinese people they see me as kind of like the American kid and so they might like look at me a little bit differently do you think that happens in Japan as well and oh, totally <laughs> and if it does like how do you think they treat you differently 
I don't even think they think I'm Japanese, like, when they meet me. I remember um, the host kids, so since they had the Australian sister city, too, there, there was a different set of Japanese kids that were with them, and I was talking to them, and I was like, I'm, they're like, what are you, like, are you Korean or whatever, and I'm like, no, I'm Japanese, and they were like, what the, and I was like, yeah, 100%, and they literally go, 100, <laughs> like, yeah. they were so shocked. Yeah, that happens to me a lot, too. I think... Mm-hmm. maybe it's because i don't speak the language as well as mm-hmm. like natives do so then they kind of just group me with the other foreigners who like me are also learning the language but i don't mm-hmm. know i think like i don't know it's kind of reminds me of like college when you have these um international students who they're just kind of talking chinese like right next to you and they don't think you know what they're really talking about but in reality you really know what's happening and sometimes they say some, like, shady stuff, but I'm just like, whatever, you know, that's fine. Like, I understand that you need a place to say whatever you want. I don't know. That's how I kind of look at it. Um, I don't know. Anyways, so we have a segment. It's called Trip Down Memory Lane, where basically we pull out specific events in your life and you just give us the context behind it. Does that sound good? Yeah, let's go for it. All right. So first thing, many people don't know this, but you are actually scuba certified. Why did you want to get certified for this in the first place? Um, it's not even like a want. My high school, I swear, was not the real world. So like for our AP environmental class, like this is what my like teacher frame for me. I don't know if you took apes in high school. Uh, I did not take it. Okay, she told us that we have to do, like, a field research, like, element to it because it's environmental sciences. And she was like, oh, like, other schools, like, you'll just go into the parking lot and you'll, like, count, like, different colors of cars. And that's, like, biodiversity because you treat the cars like species of animals. My high school, we got scuba certified. We went on a boat for Thanksgiving weekend and we got to look at, like, marine life off an island off California. Well, I mean, I feel like that's way more realistic than just counting cars in the parking lot. I think it is, but, like, their other trip was, like, a Yosemite trip where you could go, like, backpacking and just, like, counting, like, looking at deers in Yosemite. So, like, You guys could go up to Yosemite? Or something. I'm pretty sure it was Yosemite. It got canceled that year because not enough people wanted to go, but... (laughs) Yosemite's far, dude. I don't know. My high school's weird. I went to Ireland for MUN2. My school is not the real... My high school is not the real world. I mean, in a sense, they're allowing you to experience the real world, so I feel like that makes... I feel like you're really experiencing the real world in that aspect, because there's no way my school had the funds to have us do all of that. Yeah, no, I think it was like we got to experience the real world by like circumventing the actual financial like responsibilities that do fall on like other people in the world yeah yeah i, I can yeah, see that it was a lot of rich white kids that's the tea sounds about right um <laughs> also uh back in college you played as an offensive lineman for the common good church in a church league uh describe how competitive would the games really get and were there any altercations or drama related things I mean, like, the most, like, the main point of it, because it's, like, an Asian church, like, so the main point of it was supposed to just be, like, unity and, like, commonality between the churches and kind of just having an event. And that's, like, what it was supposed to be. It's supposed to be all positive vibes. 
I would like to say that I feel like common good. I felt like we had a pretty athletic team. I know the first year that we participated in the tournament, which I didn't play in, our team was like super small, like 10 people. And I'm pretty sure they still made it through the finals and people were like really surprised. So props to common good. Um, it was a little more intense. And I don't know if that goodwill was always felt on the field and it wasn't the girls, it was the coaches. Can you explain uh, what the coaches, like what were the coaches really doing? Mm, I'm going to be by Okay, I don't think it was just against my team, but like, so our quarterback is like a beast. I love her. I'm just going to like throw her out there. Dr. Kelly Mark, you should check her on Common Good Podcasts. She is such a beast though. She's like 33-ish, like early 30s, has like a PhD in psych, and it's just like so like ripped. Like she was our quarterback and she would run the ball all the time and she also played defensive line. Um, and they would just like call her on so much. Like there would be like this like little like 20-year-old college girl that she would like run down because the girl got in her way, like honestly, like was probably trying to like trip her up. And they'd be like, oh my God, like you need to stop her and like do all this stuff. But then we had like this big, like um, six foot plus like white girl on our team. And they would like literally tackle her out of the air. And we're like, this is a flag league. <laughs> like this is powder puff, like this ain't contact. And then they would be like, oh, no, like, no flags. Like, that's legal. And we were just like, excuse me. Dang. So some of that would happen. And our coach was just like, nah, we're not going to fight this. Like, this is, like, about, like, God and the church. Like, we're just going to, like, suck it up and be the better people. But, like, towards the end of it, some of the coaches got real heated. And I don't know. I think I'm just going to say props to my coach because he was like a pretty young guy like he's only a couple years older than me and there were these guys who were like much older than him held certain positions in the church and I will just say I think I learned that like even if people hold certain positions it is sometimes easy to like let that human side of you like that ego or just that like want to win like that is a very human emotion and if we like don't check ourselves like sometimes it gets the better of us yeah, that's just kind of how sports goes, man. Yeah. But do you think? Do you think in the end, like, do you think in the end, people realize like this is just for fun and it's like more of a recreational thing, or do you think there are actually some like rifts and like rivalry between people? I think honestly, on the like the side of like the girls, like we were all just there to have fun and like you know it's. Like, especially with Asian um, Christian communities in college, like, a lot of the girls, like, know each other. Like, there's a lot of crossover between the churches. So I think we realized that, and I think maybe it took the coaches, like, maybe talking to their girls to, like, realize why we were all there at the end of the day. (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of funny. Uh, Okay, next thing. So back in college, you also went to a mock Pakistani wedding with one of your friends, one of your speech and hearing friends, actually. What do you remember about that night? Um, it was kind of like, as much as I love being in like Asian American spaces, I think it really taught me like what it feels like to be the odd like one out because like this was a heavy like South Asian gathering. Like they were playing all this like Bollywood music and everybody like either speaks like Urdu or like like Hindi and stuff and they all understand each other. So I feel like there was just like, my friends were super nice and like my one friend from speech, like she tried to like hook me up with all her other friends, but it's definitely like you're like losing a, or you're missing out on a lot by like not being of that culture. Yeah, I've 
back in high school, I also went to one of those Indian parties. And just when you go in, it's just such a different vibe. Like, they tell you to take off your shoes, take off your socks. It's like, like no one's wearing socks or anything like that. And I think it helped me understand that um, just like what the culture was really like. But I guess more specifically, the value in having someone just understand you at like some level, you know, because without my friend, like, I don't know how I would have been really received. But I think when all the people there realize like, hey, this is like one of, you know, my relative's friends and he's just here to, you know, also just have a good time and stuff like that. I think that really helped, I don't know, bring, it helped, it kind of helped bring um, cultures together in a sense because people start, you know, they start asking questions because you're obviously like the odd one out and they start wanting to get to know you a little bit more. So yeah, I feel like I encourage anyone to go to a party or a gathering of a bunch of people that you don't really have any sort of connection with because you'll see great things happening. No, totally. It's good to get out of that Asian Christian bubble once in a while because I love it, but it was really easy to get stuck in it with ACF. No, and it, and it gets redundant and boring at times. So obviously, mm-hmm. like, it's always good to have your mind open up to a little bit of different things. So that's the end of the segment. And so we're going to transition a little bit. Uh, like I said before, you have traveled back and forth to Japan. And so I was wondering, in Japan, obviously Christianity is not something popular there. For some context, only 1% of Japanese people in Japan are really considered Christians, but obviously you are one of them. And how do you first compare the Christian setting in the United States and Japan? I think before my mission trip, I saw Japanese Christianity as something that was very like conservative and very traditional and also kind of in line with Japanese culture, like very austere and very quiet. Cause I think even Asian American churches in like America, like we get kind of pegged as being a little more reserved or like a little more quiet. Like we're not like, you know, like a Southern Baptist church, you know, with like the hallelujahs and the praise gods, like that's not really going to happen. Right. Um, but yeah, after going to my missions in um, Butobi, I was just blown away by how much the people there are just so passionate for God and how because of that passion, I think because they know that Christianity isn't something that's like on a lot of the forefront of people's minds there, they were just so passionate about their presentation of God and it was just like so cool to see how they kind of broke out of some of those like traditional stereotypes to get their message across. Right. And I actually watched a video about this and someone, uh, this is how they kind of compared it. And I guess I wanted to really get your take on it. Um, in the United States, this person said that there's a lot more people that go to church. They see a lot more people, larger gatherings while in Japan, the churches are relatively smaller um, but what he said, what the difference was that the people in Japan that were, you know, trying to just experience God, that they were just super passionate and it really felt like everyone there was truly a Christian. 
while in the United States, although there might be more people at these gatherings, a lot of them were probably forced in some way to go. And so during sermons or during worship, whatever, they're just trying to kind of get through that part of their day. How, what is your kind of take on that? I think I definitely see that where they're coming from. I think church is something that we take for granted within America so easily because it's like, you know, we still see ourselves like America tries to portray itself to the world like as a Protestant nation. So Christianity is inherently part of our cultural heritage. But in Japan, like they were isolated through the 1800s and like even the main religions there are like Shinto and Buddhism, even though people aren't really religious there, which adds another layer onto it. So I think, I think also a lot of the churches there are in financial um, hardships. A lot of churches do have to declare bankruptcies or will just completely fold because there aren't, they don't have that church body to support them. So I think people there are just very thankful for what they have. And because the community is so small that if they can find other Christians to talk to or to worship with, it's something that is very special to them, which I think I really got to see on my missions trip because these kids were coming from all over Japan for like this one church camp. And it was just such an awesome experience to see how much the staff put into it and the counselors, because I think like, I don't know, I think in, like, America, from my experience with church camp, like, it was fun, and it was super accessible, but I feel like for a lot of us, it was just kind of a way for us to, like, see our friends, and, like, be away from the parents for, like, one week of summer. Yeah, that was definitely me back in high school, and just in general in my childhood. I think something interesting that you kind of bring up is that, yeah, like, if you were isolated back then, and because Christianity is definitely not really part of Japanese cultural heritage that if you really discover it then it's something that really resonates with you a lot more whereas um, in the United States church is really popular for a lot of Americans and obviously Trump wants to open up houses of worship to people to access which I don't know that's kind of controversial I'm not sure about that I don't know I'm just gonna say Jesus isn't confined to a building and that's as political as I'll get (laughs) yep exactly and so But obviously, it is something that is valuable to a lot of people. But then obviously, with that comes uh, with a lot of, I guess, like, routine. It almost makes as if church is routine for a lot of people. And I think for obviously kids that kind of just knew that their parents are Christian and they just knew that this was something they were kind of obligated to go to. Whereas in Japan, I feel like, especially with how small it is, you're really making the conscious decision to be like, nope, instead of staying home, I want to go to church today because I want to experience Jesus and I want to experience God and his love. And so, yeah, I feel like that transition, like that difference right there, um, I think I think that's where being a minority is actually can be something really powerful just because it just means that's whatever you hold on to, like, you know, this is something that, um, hold up. I have a thought. I think it's something where you really hold it so strongly to you. And so it becomes because you're different in that way, then for you, obviously, when you think about why do I believe in this or why do I decide to pursue this? I think you have a real reason behind that. 
Um, but obviously it's not really the same for people in the United States. And I feel like that's something powerful, but it's also, it also means that there's still work to do in Japan, you know, because obviously if only 1% are really considered Christians, then there's a lot of more work to do there. And so, dang, I'm going on for a while, but for you back in 2015, you decided to pursue the evangelism track for LTC or the leadership training conference for AACF. Was that decision partly because you wanted to help preach the gospel to those people in Japan? I think definitely. I think a large part of my identity is like the Nikkei culture, like the Japanese American culture. And I think I'm very thankful for my family's experience from emigrating to America and although we kind of were forced into Christianity through World War II and um, the anti-Japanese sentiment in America, so a lot of Japanese families ended up sending their children to church, like Christian churches, because they wanted their children to assimilate. And even though it's like kind of an ugly part of our history, I'm still incredibly grateful for it, because I know if my parents had, or my family had stayed in Japan, like I have um, cousins whose families stayed in Japan up until like more recent generations and that side of the family is like not Christian at all so I know a large part of experience is literally just the timing of like when we came over to America um I think another thing that was like a huge impact in me was the 2011 earthquake in Japan um Tohoku when the tsunami happened and just thousands of people died I think I remember being in middle school and I just cried because I was like that is so many people who didn't have the experience to like know who Jesus was who are under all Christian understandings like basically going to hell and it was just something that was like those are my people and it was something that was really hard to grapple with yeah and it also brings up the question that I feel like a lot of non-Christian people ask is why God lets these things happen like why does he let like natural disasters like this happen and we don't need to get into that but I think I think in that way, people might question uh, Christianity just more, like why do people believe in God and stuff like that. When you were in Japan, were you like actively preaching the gospel or were you just kind of there for like other reasons? I feel like with the Sister City Association, like this is back in my senior year of high school, like my Japanese is like not that advanced. I can literally survive and that's about it. Um, I think more of the legwork that happened was more in our time in America, honestly, because with every student that we've hosted, we've always taken them to church if it falls within our timeline of their stay, which is also really nice because my home church has a large Japanese um, speaking congregation like the Nichiko um, side so there are people that can more like literally literally explain the gospel to these people I feel that maybe on my study abroad trip two summers ago it was a little more forefront because the second half of my trip was missions but it's a very interesting thing I think it's hard for me to know what I'm doing especially like with the language barrier because it's like 
I don't know if there's like much I can do because I don't know like I feel like in Japan like being there if I had to live there like the most I could say is I'm Christian that's it and like I love Jesus and like he loves you and that's about as far as I could go which okay but at the same time you did bring people that came over to church what were their initial impressions of it and were their views of God or just Christianity in general, if they had any, did it change? And if it did, like how so? It's really hard to tell with the exchange student that I had. That was also an interesting pairing. She was 14. So I was three years older than her. I think she wanted American family. So like, I think her seeing that she got the Asian family, she wasn't super happy about that. Um, but I don't know. I really don't know what her take on it was because we weren't super close through the whole experience. But I think I just take some solace in the fact that at least I know that she was brought to church, that the Nichigo ladies did talk to her. And that was at least trying to show some positive view of Christianity to her and some for her. So at least, at the very least, I know that like we tried our best, like putting like our best foot forward and exposing her to this at least once. Sounds good. And also, um, okay, so from that, there's also another time back in college where some of your closest friends weren't necessarily Christian. And I guess for more context, you had switched, you had initially wanted to pursue pharmacy and you want to be a pharmacist. But in the middle of your sophomore year and officially your junior year, you officially switched to speech and hearing sciences. And in that transition, you had met some of your closest friends in that major. But because they're not Christian, I'm wondering, what do you think or how do you think your friends have helped you understand your own identity in Christ more? Hmm. I don't know. There's a lot to unpack there. Let's see. I, well, that whole group was super interesting because it was actually really funny the like the my like two closest friends in that group are like the non-christians but we had a i don't know how to say this a spiritual hippie girl who like believed in the concept of god but in a very like interesting way yeah in a very interesting way like very interesting and then we had a girl who ended up um she's actually working for epic right now at UW. And then we had a gay Cuban, I think, I think her family's Christian. So it was actually really interesting, our little bubble, how it all melted together. That my, the other two that I'm like closest to, ident- like are not Christian, like mostly like atheist and Muslim is like the best terms and categories. I think it's interesting with my Muslim friend because we are able to talk about God to each other because if we look back at the historical contexts of where the judo-christian judo-christian God comes from like it's all the same like God like Allah and God and Yahweh are all like the same origin but I think it is interesting interacting and seeing that I don't know I do respect other people's beliefs but it is interesting because I feel like my view of God is so rooted in Jesus and in the fact that like we don't earn our salvation and that we are literally we do nothing to earn it and it's literally because of God's love and Jesus 
like sacrifice that we are made whole and that we are in communion with God. Right. And I think, I mean, for me specifically, like in high school, most of my friends were not Christians. The people that were Christian, I wasn't that close to. I don't know. It's like a question I've been thinking about for a little bit. And for me, I think it helps me understand that maybe I'm not as rooted in my faith as I probably should be because like you said, I think the biggest thing for me is to respect other people's beliefs. And I don't think just by telling them about Jesus that it's going to necessarily change their values that they've built over the last 18, 20 years. And so for me, I'm rather more hesitant about sharing like why I believe in God, unless they specifically ask like why I do. Cause if they specifically ask, then I know for sure they're curious. They want to know more. Right. But obviously most of the time it's not really that it's not really the case. Like, for most of my friends are mostly atheists and so we don't really talk about god that much for you do you ever feel there's a right time to do it or do you think would you even think about like hey i want to i want to tell my friends about the gospel or do you just do you just strictly like restri- um respect their beliefs how would you um, approach that situation. Let's see. Well, with this speech and hearing science group specifically, the whole group, it was actually really funny. Cause I actually, like I mentioned earlier, the majority of them have some sort of Christian rooted beliefs. I remember being, cause up to that point, I literally had hung out with mostly like Asian Christian people. So here I am in this new group with these new friends. And I like legit remember in like our first study group session, like I should probably mention that I'm Christian to these girls somehow. And then, like, I found out, like, the other half of them were Christian. I was like, oh, this is, like, not a big deal. Like, so I feel like what I try and do with my friend groups is I'm always very honest and open with the fact that I am Christian. Like, I have church on Sunday. Like, I can't go to this because this is an ACF event day. And I don't think it's necessarily about being like my belief is right because I don't think that's the way to lead people to Jesus because I don't think that Jesus is an opinion Jesus is an experience like his love and his grace are just I don't know it's something that defies logic and so I can't for like you can't lead a horse to water and make it drink like I can show you where it is but until you experience that yourself that's not my role so I think what I've done and like what I will continue to do with like these friends that aren't or my non-Christian friends is kind of just being very upfront with who I am and my identity and if they like choose to ask that then I kind of just like let that happen but I don't know I'm also hoping that like I'm a good representation of like Christ and I don't know it's a lot to like kind of handle I guess right because people say preach the gospel but only speak when you really have to and so I think that's honestly like the best way to do it, you know, because for me, if I share you um, the story of Jesus and what he did to me, if I was like a non-believer, I would be like, that's a cool story. But I would just be like, 
what's next, you know, what's next after that? Like, why do you, why is it so ingrained in you? And so I think the best way is to, like you said, just be that example and be, and the fact that like you can already be this close to people that obviously don't have these type of same views as you, obviously there's some, there's already a connection there. And so I don't know, for me, I feel like the best way to really approach this is first, if they ask, I would probably share my testimony over the gospel, just because I think that's like the best thing someone can really just relate to in a sense. And someone can be like, wow, this happened to this dude that I hang out with all the time. Like, of course this could happen to me then, you know? And I feel like that's where, um, the faith would probably more spark than just explain what the gospel really is. And for you, you had said that, um, a lot of your testament comes from the fact that you were able to hang out and be with um, these friends. Can you explain a little bit about where your testimony really forms from that? Mm, sorry, clarification. Are you talking about the testimony of the later experience in colleges? Because you said, you said um, in speech and hearing, like, Mm-hmm. just being in transitioning mm-hmm. um, in the middle of your college mm-hmm. life or experience as your tenure that I think it helped you. You said that before you had felt like you were, I think you said an academic failure in a way, but that moving to speech and hearing was like a big deal for you. Was that more like because of the academic failure part or something that relates to your friends? It's like, I think hmm, a big part of it is the academic failure thing, like transitioning to that, but it's also the friends part because like literally, I mean, I had an OCHEM squad, but like my speech girls, like we were like really like my first like real like best friends like outside of like ACF. Like I said, like testimony wise, I would rather talk about my testimony because I feel like people would find more connection to that than just explaining what Jesus really did. And for you, when you transitioned from pharmacy to speech and hearing, uh, God had given you a great group of friends that allowed you to just be like real tight and just be super close. Is there a specific story that you knew, you know, God was really working with me in this? And can you really explain to the people what that was? Yeah, I think just honestly the first like week of like speech and hearing sciences, I had never had like a really good like repertoire in the past of like making friends in like my biology, like my STEM courses, like my pre-pharmacy courses. I was lucky enough to get like my little like group of OCHEM study friends and that was honestly one of the hardest things about switching my major was like it took me like literally a year and a half to make these friends and now like there's no guarantee that I'm going to be friends with like these girls like in speech and it is like 99% like women in this field and I just remember my heart sinking the first day of class 
and I hear these girls go, oh my gosh, like, you're in this class too? No way. Because they were all, like, from, like, the same, like, sororities or their sororities, like, knew each other. So I'm like, oh my god, this feel, like, is the stereotypical, like, blonde sorority girl. Like, where am I going to find, like, friends? And I ended up just being super lucky, like, within the first week or something of starting this major we had to walk to um, the offsite clinic to go get some waiver forms or something. And this girl in the class literally goes up to me and is like, hey, like, do you want to form a study group with me? And it was kind of just like a very interesting thing because she didn't even need to go to the clinic because she had already signed the waivers. So I don't even know why she went with us that day. And that's kind of the beginning of how I like began to form this friend group. And I feel like that was like, I remember like, literally praying to God like later and be like thank you for like these friends like this is a confirmation that like I know that this was like the right decision to like switch my major like literally halfway through college so it was literally that it was like that moment where you thought this is like a community I really belonged in is that correct Mm -hmm, yeah yeah and I think what's cool about that is because I don't know like you said the stereotypical white blonde woman was there. And for you, just switching over majors is already such a big risk and commitment. And to be in a field where, well, obviously like in pharmacy, I would imagine there's definitely more people of your type, your race and whatever. And I think it's really interesting to see that in the whatever likelihood it was, you just somehow got to meet people that you just naturally were able to integrate yourself with. And I think what's even more interesting is the fact that the people that you were with, they're not even necessarily Christian either. Like, I think that's the coolest part about it is you were able to belong with just people just to show that, you know, this is what a close relationship really looks like and maybe that's what your friends were really helped you learn was that this is what close friendships really look like and this is what I want a strong community to look like I don't know what is your take on that I think so definitely it was nice like I do rely on the crutch of Asian American Christian community a lot because it's so much easier Because you know, like, no matter what, like, you have something in common. Like, you can both talk about, like, God or Jesus. Or you can talk about, like, how much you like KBBQ or something. Not to reduct, not to, like, be so reductionist to our culture. But I think when you go out into something like a field like speech, there's not necessarily, like, something that you're going to bond with other than academics off the gate. So I think having these friends and having, like, real close friendships, like literally like these girls that I talk to like almost every day like since I've left Washington and like we talk about like real issues like not just like oh did you get your grad apps in it shows me that like I'm capable of having like these deep meaningful relationships like without the crutch of like Christianity being there and it also proves to me that it's important for me to share my story to these people because there's not really that like legwork you have to put in with Christian friends because they already know the gospel and they know who Jesus is. Right. And so I guess to cap off this episode for all the ACFers now, what would you say, um, I guess like community wise, 
how would you encourage people to just challenge themselves to find different people? Like what would you give us like a guide or just like advice on that? I think, I mean, for me, like literally what it was, it was reaching out to other people, like other people like within your major that may not look like you. And to be fair, like completely fair, if there had been another like East Asian girl that I had really clicked with, I probably would have just like sought like my refuge there. Um, but there's a lot you can learn just like from, um, my Muslim friend, she was in the Pakistani student association. A lot of her friends were in Muslim student association. So now it's like allowed me to build like this big network of people that don't necessarily have the same beliefs as me or have different cultural backgrounds. And that's just been a really cool experience. Like all those people that I went to the mock shoddy with. Those are people that, like, I am, like, legitimate friends with now. And that's something that I wouldn't have the experience without, like, my friend kind of being that cultural broker between us. Right. Um, and so, again, thank you for coming on. We really appreciate that you made the time for us. Um, for everyone else, like, comment, subscribe, share, all that type of jazz. And we'll see you next time.